Hello, I'm Daniel. This is my podcast, Sharpening the Mind. I am a meditation teacher and also a labor activist in Kansas City, Missouri. I teach classes in meditation and Buddhism at the Rime Buddhist Center, as well as a few other places. Thank you for listening and have a great day. Hello, I am here. I'm Daniel. I am here with my soon-to-be wife, partner Alicia, and we are going to talk about a Zen koan today, or a Chan koan, if you prefer. That's what I prefer, but people don't know the word Chan. And we're going to talk about one today, and we're going to see how that goes. I think it's going to be really great. Say hello, Alicia. Oh, I like it when you call me your wife. Hello, (laughs) world. So, Alicia has limited, no experience with koan study. So, I thought it would be interesting to have her on. I actually was inspired by, there was this podcast I found because I was looking up podcasts about koans. And I found this podcast called Not Zen. That's not like a rope. Not Zen. And it's a podcast where these two guys talk about koans. And I, before I listened to it, I thought, oh, it's one guy who knows a lot and one guy who doesn't know very much, and they talk about it. But that's actually not what that podcast is. That's a great podcast, though, but that's not what that is. It's just two dudes talking about koans. And what I want to do instead is what I thought that koan was, which is I'm going to talk about koans with Alicia, who doesn't know a whole lot about koans. And the reason to do that is, of course, because... She's going to know, she's going to have a lot of questions in mind about these, especially when when we get into the really confusing ones. She's going to have a lot of questions that I maybe I wouldn't think of because I've studied koans a lot. So that's what we're going to do. So first of all, though, a koan is a sort of a story or a dialogue that is designed to sort of help us see how our minds work, and to learn things about ourselves. That's what it is. And it's the teaching that is unique to the Zen or the Chan tradition, is koan practice. So that's the unique aspect of this school of Buddhism. And it's really supposed to help us sort of open doors in our minds. And sometimes it's considered like a riddle, and I think everybody knows... um, what is the sound of one hand clapping? That is a koan. Um, and it's right. It's supposed to really make you think, right? What is the sound of one hand clapping? I don't know. So anyway, um, the koan we're going to go through today, the koans we're going to go through the, for the foreseeable future are from the text that's called, it's sometimes called the barrier that has no gate. And sometimes it's called the gateless gate. And I am going to talk about that title first, but I'm going to ask Alicia to say what she thinks when she hears the title, The Barrier That Has No Gate. So it feels like it's contradicting itself. And it feels like there is an obstacle in front of me that I cannot surpass. Because it doesn't have a way through it. That is really good. Yes, that is correct. So there's two levels to this title. And one level is 
it's a barrier with no gates. I have no way to open this. I have no way to get through this wall, right? But the other aspect is it doesn't need a gate because I'm already on the other side. So when we're struggling, it really feels like there's no door to this. But when we get through it and we stop struggling, we realize there's really no wall. Or, um, I'm not going to quote this guy a lot, but Chogyam, Chogyam Trungpa said, the truth about life is you're falling from the sky and you have no parachute, but you're lucky because there is no ground for you to hit. And that's just a way of kind of reframing the way we think about things. So we think our problems are so huge, but then we come to realize maybe we imagined our problems. Maybe we imagined our problems. So there's a story the Buddha told about like you see a rope on the ground in the dark and you think it's a snake and you're freaked out and you're panicking and then you realize it's a rope. And then you're like, oh. So sort of what it's about is sort of realizing that this this barrier that has no gates <laughs> is not the barrier that we think it is. Hey, do you know um, those videos where you put a cucumber behind a cat and it turns around and it's freaked out? That's what it, that's what, whenever you say a rope is a snake, that's what it makes me think of. <laughs> Maybe if I talk about that example, I should talk about those cat videos. Yeah. I love, I love those videos. <laughs> um, I don't think that trick is real because when we try that, it doesn't work on our cats. You can't train a cat though. So, you can't train a cat to jump in the air because it's scared. That's true. But I'm just saying that our cats don't give a shit when we put a cucumber <laughs> next to them ever. And I know we've we got... We try it again. I know we have the lazy one, but we also have the active one. <laughs> and both of them don't react. They just maybe, smell cucumber. Maybe, maybe we weren't very subtle. This is fun. Okay. So, hey, Alicia, your hand is raised. Yes? So I have a question about the title. Yes. Go ahead. You said it was like a barrier with no gate and it was as though you're already on the other side. You don't need to go through something to be on the other side. Why do they call it a barrier at all? Because of this, because of this mental block that we have, this thing that we tell us that we tell ourselves that there's a barrier, but there's really not. But do you see how the title is sort of like like a barrier tells us that we're not supposed to go over there. We're not. But if you're saying we're already over there, then why is it saying that there's a barrier at all? I have a better comparison <laughs> that I just thought of. Okay, you should tell the author. <laughs> I have a better comparison that I just thought of. And that is, it is like a border. And by that, I mean, it's like a national border, um, but not like the United States-Mexico border where you have to like go through a thing and you like people talk to you. But I'm talking about like a border, maybe a border like in Europe, like in yeah. one of those countries where you just like, I'm in it's Belgium, I'm in Belgium. Oh, I'm in France, right? Like one of those borders. It's like that. So we 
tell ourselves it's important, but it is made up. It is made up. You just are over there. And there are, I don't want to, like, the United States borders are not strict everywhere. There are there are parts of the United States borders where you can, um, where they're less strict, right? We went to Canada, and we did have to talk to a person, but it took, like, two seconds, right? But there are other borders where you're just there, and especially, like, state lines? Like, there is nothing if we go, like, we've taken a trip to Colorado, so we went from Missouri all the way across the state of Kansas into Colorado, like nothing happens. Like there's a cool sign and that's it. So I think the barrier is something that we tell ourselves is there and it's not. What if they titled it the mind's barrier without a gate? I, I, I don't know. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. So, so, and some people, so it says here in this book, this version I have in front of me, it says you could also call it the gateless checkpoint. But I don't think checkpoint means anything to us unless you're talking about like video games. When you're <laughs> when your person dies, like Super Mario Brothers, if you get like halfway through the level and you die, like you come back like halfway at a certain point, right? That's all I think of when I think of checkpoints. I don't know what a checkpoint is. But anyway, this text. The Wumen Guan is what it's actually called, or the, in Chinese, Wumen Guan. And uh, the first time it was translated, it was called the Gateless Gate, which is just a nonsense name, right? But, and subsequently, because the first time it was translated, it was called that, like a lot of people throughout history have called it that. But today, now, people are starting to call it the barrier that has no gate or the gateless barrier because that uh, seems to make more sense as far as what the title's meaning is. This is a collection of 48 koans, 48 of them, and they're all considered things, the barriers for us to pass, things to help us see how our minds work. There are other koan collections that are longer and ones that are shorter. This is one of the most beloved koan collections, and sometimes they're studied like riddles, the purpose is to train our minds to show that all aspects of life are opportunities to awaken, all aspects of life, and to use words to see beyond words. That sounds really heavy, use words to see beyond words. Sometimes they're kind of like traps, and by that I mean traps you in a place where you're trying to think of what this means and nothing makes sense. Sometimes they're like that. And those are going to be the really hard ones for us to talk about. But the teaching, the fundamental teaching of Chan Buddhism that we're going to come to again and again, or Zen Buddhism that we're going to come to again and again in this is that we are already awake. And if we think of, we'll, we'll, we'll come back to this again and again. So maybe I don't need to go too deep into that, but we will go ahead and talk about this first koan. Are you ready to talk about the first koan? Yeah, sure. I didn't mean to talk so long about the introduction, but that's what happened. So the first koan, this is a very famous koan. 
Um, there's a whole book about it I have on the bookshelf over there called The Book of Moo, which is a, a good book, but man, there's a lot there. But this is called Joju's Dog. Joju's Dog. The first case in, they're called cases, it's the first case in the barrier that has no gate. And I am going to read it to Alicia. And then I'm going to ask her what she thinks is happening here. And then I'm going to say what I think is happening here. Or what, why this matters. Why this is worth talking about. That's the, the big question that we're asking in these podcast episodes is going to be, why is this worth talking about? And it's going to get this one's going to be easier than some other ones. There's some some cases in here when you're like, what? But this one, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But this is, in many areas, the most beloved koan. So, it's very short. A monk asked Joju, does a dog have Buddha nature or not? And Joju said, no. Exclamation point. A monk asked Joju, does a dog have Buddha nature or not? And Joju said, no. Exclamation point. Uh, footnote. A lot of the time, people don't translate that no. And they just will put Wu if it's Chinese or Mu if it's Japanese. Because that's the word for no. So a lot of the time, people won't translate that. I have decided I'm going to translate that and say it's no. Um. We have to, sometimes when we're talking about foreign languages, we have to think about that. Because this word, woo, it means no, but it also means, like, negative or never or nothing. It means all those things. So, we have to kind of think about that sometimes when we're translating. So, that being said, Alicia, one more time. Among asked Joju, does the dog have Buddha nature or not? Joju said, no, exclamation point. What do you think this is, the importance of this is? I'm distracted because you keep saying exclamation point. So I know that that's a point that you're trying to make. And I'm like, my mind is overthinking, thinking, what am I trying to get from this? But um, I think he's trying to, to emphasize that Buddha nature is for humans. So if it is for dogs, then no, of course it's not. So it's not for humans. I mean, it's not for okay. dogs. <laughs> so the no. So first we'll talk about the no exclamation point. So. Um, Are you trying to sway me one way or another? I am going to, I'm going to sway you. No, I mean, when you were reading it, you said no exclamation point. Every okay. time you read, you didn't say the question mark. You didn't say the period. I will express why I thought the no the was so important that it, the exclamation point was needed. Okay. But if, wait, wait, wait. Yeah. This is communicated via text mostly, correct? <sighs> or I mean, originally, no, but. So there are Zen temples where people go and talk to their teacher and their teacher presents this. Does he, do they present verbally, it with an exclamation verbally. point? Verbally. So let's talk about the exclamation point because that is important. 
Um, it is present. So first of all, there's another version of this where it says a monk sincerely asked Joju. And the reason I'm adding that is because this is not a trick. The monk is not trying to put Joju in a trap. Okay. So why the exclamation point? Um, Joju is actually known as a teacher that was very soft-spoken and quiet. So what does that tell us? It tells us the exclamation point does not mean that he yelled, right? So, or maybe it means that he yelled rarely in his life. Okay. If he was soft spoken, he could have. It could. It, so it could be a guy that never yells yelled. No, right? Or, the my interpretation, it, that's interesting, and I never thought of that. But my interpretation is that it was a hard no, like, like, not like. Does the dog have Buddha nature? No, but. Does the dog have Buddha nature? No. Of course not. Like, like, I thought it was the kind of no, like the no you say when you find out you have cancer. Like, no. Like really? a, like a, <laughs> I don't know why, but that, that was my interpretation. Like, it was like a, no. Like he's sad at the same time? Yes. Maybe he had a dog. But the, the point is that this is not casual. I think Joju is trying to say no, but not in a casual way. It feels like he's trying to drive home the point of no. Like you're missing the point. No. Right. Yes. I like that. No. Right. So no period would not have been good enough, apparently. But so. So, does the dog have Buddha nature? No. Does the dog have Buddha nature or not? Joju said no. Now, the teaching of Mahayana Buddhism, the teaching that this monk was definitely receiving, is that all beings have Buddha nature. And even, some would even extend it and say, everything has Buddha nature. So not just all beings, but all rocks right? Everything, right? So... Rocks beings? They're not, right? So... I always consider being something that's alive. The the limited version is all beings have Buddha nature, and then an extended version is all things have Buddha oh, nature. Okay. So the monk either thought all living things had Buddha nature, or he thought everything had Buddha nature. But either way, right? That's a controversial answer. So... First thing we have to wonder is, well, why would he ask that? He knows the teaching is that a dog or that all living things have Buddha nature. So why would he ask that? Yes, Alicia. Maybe, maybe he was responding in a sense of, no, now you're thinking. You know how teachers do? Mm -hmm. No. And he's kind of excited about it. Like, you're really thinking about this. It could be. It could be. So some, he's excited. some people think that the monk in this story is trying to make an argument with Joju. So he's going to ask him, does the dog have Buddha nature? And he's expecting Joju to say yes. And then he's going to make the argument of why a dog doesn't have Buddha nature. What's he going to say? I don't know. But um, one uh, key point I have to make that... I almost forgot to make 
is that a dog in ancient China, this is um, like the oh, 1200s. Yeah. Actually, it's probably even earlier than the 1200s. There this this, this this was collected in the 1200s, but this is probably, this is way older. And I don't have the dates in front of me, but it's way older. But they thought a dog was a filthy, disgusting animal. So this is not, does man's best friend have Buddha nature? This was, it would be like, in our world, we might think like, does a rat have, have Buddha nature? What's okay, a really he, gross animal he, that we don't like? He probably didn't have a dog. Right. Does a rat have Buddha nature? Would it be maybe better for our modern era? I don't know. But <laughs> so where are we at here? So we are at, uh, there's a teaching that is fundamental to Buddhism that living things have Buddha nature. What, what is Buddha nature? Buddha nature is just that. The simple version that I like is just Buddha nature is that we, our nature is good. Our nature is good and awake, and we just have shit that is holding us back. We just have baggage we're carrying and delusions and confusion. We just have shit we're carrying, and if we just put that down, well, our true nature is there. So it's it's saying that it's specific to human beings. So right or why is it that he asked about dogs specifically? Right. Let's so get to the point here. We have to ask that. Why is he asking about dogs? Is it specific to human beings? So there's a there is a specific sutra where the Buddha says all beings have Buddha nature. It's called the Nirvana Sutra. Now we don't have to. I don't have a sort of blind faith that everything the Buddha says is important, but. That's not what this is about, but this what this is about is the monk knows that the, the Nirvana Sutra, in it, the Buddha said, all beings have Buddha nature. Everything alive has this same nature as us. We're all carrying the same kind of nonsense that we have to put down, and we can agree or disagree with that. But what we can't, what we have to agree on is that the monk is familiar with that teaching. So if we think the monk's familiar with that teaching, and we think, Joju is familiar with that teaching, then what the heck is happening here? One, why is he asking? And two, why is Joju saying no? So, right. So my thought on this, my interpretation of this is that the monk is not really asking about a dog. Not Really, my sense is that this monk thinks, oh, all beings have this true nature that's awake and good. All beings have this nature that just just needs to put down some shit and then will be awakened. That can't be true because that can't be my nature. So my, my sense is that the monk thinks that he's really broken and he really struggles with nonsense and really struggles with giving into temptation and paying attention to the world around him. And because he really struggles with that, he's asking, does a dog have Buddha nature? But I think what he's really asking is, does a dog like me have Buddha nature? Can I really be at my core good 
And the reason that that's my interpretation is because I think that we all sort of struggle with that. We sort of, um, I say, I like to say we spend all our time either thinking we're really great and better than other people or thinking we're the lowest and the worst. And we're never like at a reasonable perception of ourselves. We're either thinking we're the at the top or at the bottom. So I think that when he's asking about the dog, the truth is he's afraid to ask, do we even do even I have Buddha nature? Because I'm a real jerk. So is he assuming that a dog does? My my sense is he's comparing himself to a dog. And again, this is a filthy animal nobody likes. He's comparing himself to a filthy animal. Because he's been told he has Buddha likes. nature, so he's wondering if the really filthy thing that he compares him to has Buddha nature. Yes. Yes. Because the truth is, when somebody tells you, no, you're good at your core. You're really great. That's hard for us to reflect on. That's hard for us to reflect on, right? I'm not really great. I give in to temptation at almost every opportunity, right? So how could I have Buddha nature? I, And even we can think about our meditation practice. We can think, how can I have Buddha nature? I have an incredible struggle getting myself to meditate, right? Right? So how could that be me? How could I have the same nature as the Buddha who came up with all these teachings? Even me? So I think, and that I'm clearly adding things to the koan here, but I, I think that the dog is a stand-in for the monk asking the question. And that is what makes it a really useful thing for us to talk about. This is, it is, it is the opposite of that idea of original sin. It is that idea of original awakening, original goodness. At our core, at the center of our being, we are good. And we're wise and free, free of the struggles we're caught in. What do you think? My instinct is that it's just telling us that it's humans that have this struggle. Most other animals don't have this struggle of like what to do and being pulled different ways. They just do. They're just instinctual. And my instinct is that this is just telling us this applies to us only. So a dog... A dog doesn't care if you think it has Buddha nature or not, right? A dog doesn't give a shit, right? And that that is true. We have this quality as human beings of overthinking everything, of being afraid of things that make no sense to be afraid of, of we have... Planning too much. Planning too much. We have stresses that animals don't have. That's That being said, they have stresses that we don't have, right? But... But that is true. We definitely have struggles that animals don't have. We have a lot of baggage to put down that my cat Wally doesn't have any baggage to put down. He's fine, right? He wants to sleep all day. He sleeps all day. He doesn't care. So, but we have baggage to put down. We have where we worry about what people think of us or we worry about 
when we're going to get the promotion we think we deserve, or we worry about if we're going to be able to work from home as long as we want to, right? And cats don't worry about anything. And I, I only say cats because we're a cat family and we have two cats, but dogs don't worry about anything. They just do things. They're right? in the moment. Right. I'm reminded of a joke that says, if you want to find out if your dog or your wife loves you more, put them both in the trunk of your car for two days and see who's happy to see you. <laughs> I'm reminded of that. But it's because... <laughs> I'm going to cut this. Don't worry. It's because dogs don't really know <laughs> that you did it to them intentionally. They just know they're trapped. And they're like, oh, yeah, my owner! <laughs> And the wife has more respect for herself than that. Yeah, that's why. So that, I mean, that sums up my interpretation. It's that the monk is not really asking, does the dog have Buddha nature? But he's really asking, like, even me? My first, the first time I read this, I thought the monk was trying to trick him into a debate, like I said. But now, now I don't think that. I think that he's just saying... Well, all beings have Buddha nature, sure, but but not me. I'm just a broken mess. And that is what makes the koan meaningful to me. So I want to ask you, do you think this koan is meaningful? Or rather, why do you think this was important enough to share? My, my caveat is, if Joju had just said yes, this would not have been shared. We would not know this story because there'd be nothing surprising about it. The reason it's surprising is because Joshu said no. And also, I sort of think that he's challenging the monk. I know, I said I would let you talk, and I will. But he said, I think he's challenging the monk to stop thinking in terms of this and that all the time. So the monk thinks... Like, if the monk thinks a dog's a filthy animal, then he thinks a dog can't possibly be sacred, right? Because it's a dog. It's gross. It's a dirty animal. So he's sort of building categories of sacred and not sacred. And he's saying, no, a dog's not sacred, right? Or rather, another way of thinking about it is he's thinking, right, in the temple we're practicing Buddhism, but outside of the temple we're not, right? And he's thinking a dog's not sacred, but a person is. And that's sort of a category thing as well. Or we could think like a good person is sacred, but an ordinary person, maybe a person who is out drinking all the time or partying or doesn't care about other people, that person, well, that person doesn't have Buddha nature, right? So I sort of think he could be thinking along those lines. What do you think? Okay. Um, I really just keep coming back to, no, the point is that you're a human and that that's the most important part, which I don't like to think about. But what if he... What if he is talking about... Because... Wait. Does Zen believe in... Um, reincarnation so um that's a complicated question 
because in the Zen tradition, it's more considered not important. Okay. Not important. So are you reborn when you die? I don't care. Because it could mean that, but if it's from the Zen tradition, it probably doesn't. Um, so, but if it does mean that, and it's a dog that's going to someday be reborn as a human or as something else, well, it still it has that nature when it's a dog. Mm-hmm. So, but maybe it doesn't. Maybe it only gets that Buddha nature when it becomes human, and it doesn't really know anything. It doesn't really do anything otherwise and it's just chance until you're a human and then you have ability to proceed i think it's just chance you don't really even believe in this so okay okay i don't either so um we could start to think about that and actually there's a another koan we'll talk about later on that is really about reincarnation or rebirth um and some Buddhists say, well, we don't believe in reincarnation like those other people. We believe in rebirth. But I haven't heard a, a uh, compelling explanation of what the difference is. So, um, where was I going? It's hard for me to see it as deeply as you see it. Okay. Um, and I think that's probably because you've done a lot of studying with it and people have written a lot of things and like they've brainstormed and what does this mean? And what does this mean? And you, you know, you can, you can gain a lot by doing that, but just from reading it and li- or listening to it once, I don't get all that. I just get, this is for humans. That's all I get. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I want to express, uh. The guy that collected these 48 koans, his name's Wu Men, which means no gate. Um, he says, here, he says, he said that he just put this collection together basically at random. He just collected 48 koans that he liked, and in no particular order they appear. And he really just, he sort of downplayed it and sort of acted like he just chose them out of a hat. And some scholars think that that's true. And some scholars think, no, he did this on purpose. He picked his 48 favorite ones there and he put them in a specific order on purpose. And we'll see as we start to go through them. But you believe that you believe there's a, a purpose for the order. I believe there's a purpose for the order. Interesting. Okay. And we will see. As we go through it, I hope that our listeners enjoy it, and I hope that we do enjoy it ourselves and end up going through all 48 of them. There's only 48. It won't take that long. These are going to be some long podcasts. Though. But we'll see. As especially, like, this one is two sentences, but some of them are quite long. So we will see how it goes, but I'm really interested in exploring these Um But yeah, to me, the fundamental thing is the monk is asking, like, even a dog has Buddha nature, even I have Buddha nature, really? And Joju, the master, is challenging him by just saying no, by just smashing his expectations. And we'll see that again in the koan collection, actually. Teachers, the teacher sees that the student has a certain expectation, and he says, no, fuck you, this is the way to look at things. Or maybe he's just saying, 
That's ridiculous. No, of course not. So it could be. That's the other option. Could, <laughs> could we just take this at face value and think a dog doesn't have Buddha nature? We could. We could just decide that the message is, no, only humans have Buddha nature. Obviously. And that is something that could be debated and discussed at length. Because, again, the teaching is all living things have Buddha nature. So when we say a dog doesn't have Buddha nature, what are we saying? That's not true. Are we saying that the teaching that all beings have Buddha nature is untrue? Are we, are we, is Joju trying to challenge that teaching? Or is Joju just saying to this monk, you ask too many questions. This is stupid. This is stupid. You ask too many questions. That could be it too, right? He's just, he's just trying to get this guy to go away. And he doesn't want to be in a position where he has to convince this guy that a dog has Buddha nature. So he just says, no, fuck off. Right? It could be it could be that as well. And we could be trying to find meaning in something that's really just a teacher saying go away to the student. I don't know. So, um, that'll bring an end to our discussion for the day. Do you have anything more to add, Alicia? I'm... I'm concerned what this is going to go into... <laughs> Because I think I'm a really literal person, and in order to convince me of what you think it is would take a lot. Because I don't think people back then were that much different than people now that a teacher couldn't just be exasperated by a student. But we add all of this meaning to it. Because we want to. Like, okay, well, I could say take out the trash, and then we could analyze the hell out of that, and it could mean something really profound. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I got trash in my mind I need to get rid of, right? Take out the trash. Yes. Right? That could yeah. mean, but I, I'm really, I'm just telling my son to take out the trash. That's all it was. That's all it was supposed to be. It wasn't supposed to be this profound thing. So it's hard to know if we're focusing on the right things. So we will leave that there as the final word. Sometimes a story's just a story. Thank you for coming on to the podcast, Alicia, and thank you for listening, everybody. Have a great day. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.